church. God is love. That's right. And what a what an amazing song. I love that song. I always have. I was introduced to that by uh, a brother Tommy a long, long time ago and loved every bit of it. Loved all the parts and it sounds beautiful and it gives all the praise to God, right? God is love. You can't say that enough. Um, I do have an announcement before we begin. This morning, uh, one day fun day is approaching uh, and it is our faith museum. Uh, I'm excited. Uh, I know you're excited, right? The children are excited and um, we need you, right? So I'm like Uncle Sam standing up here now. Uh, we need you, right? We need your help, please. Uh, it's a big project. We love the big projects because uh, that involves all of us. And so if you are willing to help to uh, make sure this is a great um, event for the, for the children, uh, as well as for all of us, just if you will, you will help us, we would, we would love that. We're going to meet really quickly in room 24 right across the hall here. Uh, after services, and we would uh, invite you to come. Short meeting, we're going to hand out some paperwork, show you what we're doing, um, let you take it home, and decide what you'd like to participate in as far as help is concerned. But again, we need your help, and we know that we can count on you. So thank you in advance for blessing us. Uh, let's go to God in prayer, please. Our Heavenly Father, we do praise your holy divine name, and thank you so very much. Thank you for loving us and for keeping us. Thank you for watching over us and protecting us. Thank you for your love, O oh God, and thank you for your mercy. We're just so amazed, Lord God, to think that here we are in, in Alaska, and you can bring uh, the wind and, and heat and melt the snow and ice and, and a, in a month like this, Lord God. Uh, we're just amazed at your, your power and, and your greatness. Please help us as we worship you to remember uh, your greatness, Lord God, and to think about Jesus, your great son, who demonstrated that amazing love uh, by dying on that cruel cross of Calvary, that we might live. Thank you so very much for all that you've done and for all that you do and for all that you will do for us. In Jesus' holy and precious name, we do pray and thank you. It be your will. Amen. Welcome each of you, both members and visitors alike, those online, those here present this morning. We're going to conclude our, our James study. I was asked to do a little more work on judging. We'll come to that, Lord willing, next week. But we're going to uh, conclude... Our, our James, just kind of overview, if you will. If James were our preacher, what would James have to say to us? So James, uh, in James chapter 1, it opens up in an amazing way. Because James, uh, in the beginning, does not believe in Jesus. I don't even understand that. You know, you, you listen to your mother, and your mother tells you about Jesus, and you're being born. And you watch this perfect child live perfectly right? And he's growing up perfectly and he's doing everything perfectly. You got to say something's different about Jesus. But his brothers didn't believe in him in the very beginning. And so for James to write this, this uh, amazing treatise by inspiration is, is just, he's, there's a lot that God has given to us. There are 108, I think there are 108 verses and like there's over 50 commands in just 108 verses. He kind of repeats the Sermon on the Mount. But here we are, James, the brother of the Lord, a, tr a complete transformation and belief in God. He starts out uh, identifying the people. James, verse 1, chapter 1. A bond servant of God, uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. And so he went from disobedience to obedience. He went from, from non-belief to belief. He was a man of tremendous humility. And then you find the loyalty that he had for God. And he's writing to these brethren who are struggling. 
because the persecution of Rome is strong, right? So when you go back and you're reading the book of James, remember, he's writing to people who are struggling because the persecution of Rome is strong. Strong. People are dying, being executed in the name of Jesus. So when he writes and he talks to us, he's not saying, hey, these are the things that you should do in those good and wonderful times. He's saying, do them, yes, in the good and wonderful times, but also in the times of persecution and struggle and difficulty. And in verse 21 of chapter 1, he says, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all the remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your soul. Wow, right? Yeah, God's talking to us. Nothing in this world matters. All that matters is God. He says, you got to get rid of all that bad stuff in your life. And think about this for a moment, right? You don't know if tomorrow you're going to die in this day. You're being persecuted, being executed. Tomorrow you can walk out of your door and the Roman soldiers come along and grab you, find out you're a Christian, and execute you because you believe in Jesus. So James says what's important is get rid of all the stuff that might impede your soul, but rather instead receive God's word deep, deep, deep into your heart and plant it because this is the book that's going to save us, right? These are the words that are going to save us. The words of God himself, right? Look over at chapter 5. And then he says, you know, there's an answer for how you deal with this persecution. And I think it fits us, right? Like right now we're, you know, going through the COVID situation, etc. There are words to deal with persecution. We're not being persecuted per se, but you know, you get tired of this. We all are, right? Verse 7 he says, be patient. Chapter 5, verse 7, be patient. Then he gives us an example. Therefore, brethren, until the coming of the Lord, behold, the farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is hand. Just, just be patient. God's got this. Okay. Be like the farmer. Just plant the seed. You can stand there and stare at it all you want to. It's going to grow in its time. Just be patient. And then in in the days of this persecution, chapter chapter 1, while we're being persecuted by Rome, just for doing what's right, isn't it amazing that that Satan would would persecute and use a a kingdom like Rome to persecute people who just want to do what's right? Right? It doesn't make any sense, right? Okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to enforce the law. And then all the law-abiding citizens, we're going to kill them. Well, that doesn't make any sense, right? Like, Rome, we're following the laws. Why are you executing us? Well, because we just don't like you because you're Christians. So James says, look, perspective. Chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it. How do you do that? <laughs> right? Right? Tomorrow they're going to execute me for doing right, for doing good. Shouldn't I just become ruthless? No. No, put away all the filthiness and the wickedness from your life and just consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Consider it all. Find, find the joy of Jesus and all the bad stuff that happens in your life. But James, my, my, my brother was executed. My mother was executed last week. And you're telling me to find the joy. Don't worry, brother, brother, brother James says, well, you know, you know where she is. 
Right? Oh, yeah. Consider it all joy. And then knowing the testing of your faith, verse, verse 3, produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You, you gotta be patient. And let God have His due. And find the joy of being a child of God. And just keep on keeping on until the end. Oh. Because life isn't always happy. But you've got to find the happiness. Right? You've got to dig sometimes deep into the, into the barrel, if you will, of goodness to find the happiness. But in Christ, it's always there. And he goes on in his, in his study. He goes on and, and he says, don't question God. See, verse 19 really re- it talks about questioning God more than it does man. And it says in verse 19, therefore, this you know, my beloved brethren, but let everyone be quick to hear, and slow to speak, and slow to anger. He's really speaking more toward God. Listen to God. Be quick to listen to God and be slow to speak about God. Right? Meaning, uh, when you're, you're complaining about things that are going on in, in your life, just, just stay focused on God and you'll find that when you're, when you're quick to hear and you're slow to speak, it's almost like a formula. You become slow to anger as well. Right? Because we hear with the understanding. And then, and then verse 20 says, guess what? For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. See, we can't accomplish the things that God would have us to accomplish. So James says. Chapter 4. And then he says, you know, you, you, it's important to do the right thing. Do the right thing. I know what I want to do. Right? I mean, you know, when those Roman soldiers come around and, and, and they, they start uh, trying to persecute us and, and we outnumber them. I know what I want to do. But I also know what I ought to do. And James says, you got to do the right thing, right? You know, integrity, even when no one's looking, you got to do the right thing. Verse 17, therefore, to the one who knows the right thing to do and does it not. See, the problem is, to him it's sin. See. So we're not going to, even though we outnumber that Roman soldier, we're not going to take him off and Kill him and bury him in a ditch. That's not the right thing to do. Even though we might want to, because that's the same God that's been persecuting us. God says, you've got to do the right thing. And I know sometimes the right thing, um, you know, it means we're going in the opposite direction of the world. But, but you've got to do the right thing. Right? We always have to do the right thing. Look at James 5. And then he goes on and talking about the right thing. And he says, you know, don't, don't cheat people. So, so the wealthy in the congregation were, were just, you know, they were cheating. <laughs> they were cheating people. Terrible situation. Chapter 5 and, and verse 4. Behold the pay of the laborers who, who mowed your fields, and which has been withheld by you, cries out against you, and the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. Wait. They were withholding their pay? Yeah, even brethren. Isn't that amazing? It was just, don't cheat. Don't, don't cheat. And they set themselves up though. Look at chapter 2. They, the church set themselves up. The brethren set themselves up by, by holding these, these people in such a high esteem. You know, money, the very thing that's detestable to God, became the God, if you will, and the ruler and the leader of their world. 
Look at what they were doing. Verse 4. Verse 4 says, Have you not be, uh, made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? What, what were they doing? What exactly were they doing? I'm going to give you verse 3. They were paying special attention to the rich. And they were neglecting the poor. They were showing partiality. Verse 5 says, Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of the, this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Listen to this. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? I, this was, these, these were God's people. And you go, whoa, what's so, so on one hand, now we continue with Rome. We got Rome and Rome was persecuting us. And, that, and, and then the, the Jews are persecuting us, the scribes and the Pharisees. And, and, and even our brethren are persecuting us. How are we going to make it, Lord? And God says, be patient. Be patient. Everything's going to be all right. How many of us believe that, right? Chapter 5, if you will. How many of us believe that? Verse 1. So he says, you know, about riches, this is about riches. Don't let your riches bring a curse on your soul. Yeah, see, look, look what's going on here in verses 1 and verse 2. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Uh, your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. Well, because it had such an abundance, instead of sharing, they were just hoarding it, right? And it was... And, it was just rotting away, rusting away. You know, I was like, well, you know, there's a, there's a need. And, and so, and when there's a need, we're supposed to be there to help fill that need. But no, no, that's not what they were doing. They were hoarding all their stuff. And so it's become moth-eaten and, 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 and rusted, if you will. And here comes the end of the Jewish era, right? It was still in the Jewish era, if you will, even though Christianity has begun. And there's the last... Uh, uh, dispensation of time. Well, he goes on to say, verse 3, your gold and your silver have rusted and their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. And so he's saying, here we are in this last uh, uh, dispensation of time and you guys still haven't figured this out yet. You got to help those who have a need. And he says, I now we've got to deal with something else. The mind can uh, hold secrets. But that old tongue <laughs> seems to reveal them often, right? I mean, that tongue, right? Look at chapter 3. You know, we got to kind of talk about the tongue. He says, well, I want to talk to you first. Let me talk to your teachers first, right? All the teachers, he says. If you're a teacher of the Word of God, beware. So there were, there were teachers also when you read First John and other passages of Scripture who were misleading the people, trying to get uh, the Christians to leave Christianity or kind of have a Judo-Christian mindset, right? You know, be a Christian, but also hold on to the laws of Judea. We even have folks today trying to teach us that. Can't, you can't do both. You know, the Old Testament and the New Testament contradict. They don't contradict themselves in what the, in the teachings. They contradict themselves in what laws you ought to follow. For example, if you were to try and take an animal today and sacrifice it and use that blood sacrifice for your sins, well, you, well that doesn't mean you can't do that, right? We, we can't go back to the old law and try to follow those laws and follow the laws of Christ. We just can't do that. The Old Testament was written to the Jews. We're not Jews. We're Gentiles. It just doesn't work, right? 
And so James says, look, when you're going to teach, make sure you're teaching the truth. And the best advice you can ever give a preacher or a teacher is this. If you don't understand the subject, don't talk about it. Zip it up, right? I don't care how much pressure you get from the church, from the elders, from the deacons, from your mother, your father. I don't care how much pressure you get. If you don't understand the topic, don't teach on it. Well, yeah, but it's in our lesson curriculum. And if you don't understand the topic, don't teach on it. That's good sound advice. So verse 1, he says, listen, let not many of you, chapter 3, verse 1, become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such you shall incur a stricter judgment. That's, that should be scary. <laughs> my judgment will be very different from yours. And that's why it's important that when, when I do my research and I study God's word and I, and I ask God to help me and to bless me, that I make sure I understand what I'm teaching before I teach it. And if I'm in a series or wherever I am in my studies and wherever I am in my preaching, if I don't understand a topic completely because of there's just so much there, I'm not going to talk about it. I will guarantee you that. He says, be careful what you're going to say, right? Verse 2, for we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is perfect, a perfect man, able to bridle the whole, the whole body. And he starts talking about this, this little thing here, this tongue. And, and you know, the mind says, well, you know, boy, I want to, you can't. And the tongue reveals what, and I'm going to hold on, I'm not going to, and then you, because the tongue just can't, it's a restless evil, the Bible says. It's got so much to say. I mean, that's what his job is, right? Besides tasting food. Verse 4, behold, the ships also, though they are so great, are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder, wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. Behold, how great a force is set aflame by such a small fire. Who's in control of the tongue? I'm in control of my tongue. You're in control of your tongue. The tongue reveals what's on the heart. The tongue reveals what's in the mind. And so when we hear the boasting and the arrogance and the pride and all that stuff, that's what's in the heart. See, the tongue reveals what's on the heart. The tongue reveals what's, what's on the mind. The tongue is directing it. But what God is saying to us is that the mind is directing us. The tongue is revealing what's being said or done in the mind. What's happening? The process that's going on up here. How am I processing life? How am I processing people? The tongue reveals what's on the mind. And it does something. It causes an awful lot of trouble, doesn't it? Because it reveals what's on the mind. Someone say, tell us what you really think. Right? Well, maybe they did. It, it reveals what's on the mind. We know that. Verse 5. Again, please. Verse 5 says, So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. Behold how great a force is set aflame by such a small fire. Now take that same tongue and that small fire that can be set, and let's set it in a different way. Let, let's set the positive fire. 
right? One that, that is controlled and, and one that warms our bodies and one that cooks our meals. Let's set that kind of fire with our tongues. One that, that encourages people. We can set a fire and sit around that fire and fellowship one with another. Let us use our tongues to build up, to encourage, to strengthen. Not ourselves, but others, right? Let us use our tongues in a positive way. In other words, what God is saying is, maybe we ought to think about what's really on our hearts. What's really on our hearts. And verse 6 goes on to say, And the tongue is a fire. The very world of iniquity, the tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beast and birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. No one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. So what did he say? Put away all that filth and that... Stop filling the head with all that filth. Because then, then it all comes out, doesn't it? You know? Yeah, I mean, think about the first time if, you, if you, you've seen this, but you've seen a child and he repeats what mama and daddy says and, and, and curse words come out of their mouths. And then how many families have seen that and thought it was funny and cute? Right? Already the corruption in that child's mind. The child doesn't really understand what that word means yet, but that tongue is speaking. It tells you this is what the child's been, been filled with, right? Filth. Maybe the filth of their parents or the filth of what's on television or wherever it is. The mind is responsible. The tongue reveals what's on the heart. So think about the inconsistency of the tongue, right? The inconsistency of the tongue. The tongue on one hand will praise you to your face and then turn around and curse you on it. You know, we know that's not the tongue. We know it's the mind, isn't it? Verse 9 goes on to say, With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. And God said, I don't even understand how you can do that. Right? How can you do that? Well, the mind. Jeremiah 17, uh, verse 9 and 10 tells us the mind is sick. That's the only explanation. The mind is sick. It's desperately sick, it actually says. Right? It needs help. How, how can we possibly, how could, how? You remember Peter when he, oh yeah, Lord, you, you know, I'm following Jesus. And he denied Jesus. Like, what? Wait, how can you do both, Peter? On one hand, you're saying you love the Lord, and on the other hand, you deny the Lord. I remember Peter was sitting down with the Gentiles and eating, and then the Jews showed up in Galatians chapter 2, and then as soon as they showed up, he jumps up and pretends like he's not eating. And then like Paul comes and says, you can't do that. What are you doing? <laughs> from, verse 10, from the same mouth come blessing, both blessings and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives or a vine produce figs? Neither can salt water produce fresh. All right. So in closing, our, our, this short you know, overview of the book of James... Let's close on the, on the positive, right? So what is James, 
what, if you want to put it all into a nutshell, you want to fix all these problems that James mentions. How about this? Depend on God for your future. Yeah, that's a good one. Right? So he corrects their thinking in James 4, in verse 13. He corrects their thinking. And he says, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we shall go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. That ought to be a part of our everyday mindset. Not just the words that are echoed from our, but it, it's a mindset, right? If it's God's will, I'm praying this God, if it's your will to receive, you don't have to receive this prayer. Right? I'm praying it's your will to receive my prayer. I'm, that's why I'm saying every time I finish prayer, I'm, if it's your will, Lord. I know it doesn't really fit grammatically. It doesn't have to fit grammatically. My mind is stating to you what's, what truly is, uh, truly is. It's gotta be the God, God's will. If it's not God's will, you don't want it, right? Right? We don't want it if it's not God's will. And we could pray about it, dear God, please give me this. But if it's not your will, please do not give it to me. I don't want it. I know then it might destroy me, right? So, so James says, you know, when you, when you live your life, make sure that you depend on God for not only your present, but also your future. And then he says, I want you to spend a lot of time doing this. Praying. Right. Just keep on praying all throughout your day. Just keep on praying all throughout your day. In James 5, in verse 13, uh, he talks about prayer. And he says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him and anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has uh, committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Pray and pray and pray and pray and everybody pray and pray for each other and keep on praying, right? And then he gives you an example and he says in verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. So what he's saying, you can't say, well, because Elijah was a prophet and a special man of God. No, James says, no, he was just like the rest of us. He wasn't anything special or different. And he prayed, and God heard his prayer. The question is, when I'm praying, do I believe that God is listening to my prayer? That God has answered my prayer before I even asked him to answer my prayer? Although he tells me to ask. Pray and just keep on praying and just continue to pray and pray and pray and just keep praying and praying. Not, not, not just in bad times. Keep praying, brethren. Are we praying enough? Just keep praying. Talking to God. Continue to pray. And then finally, be a soul winner. Be a soul winner, right? That's, that's what God wants us to be. Soul winners. Whether we plant the seed or water the seed uh, that's been laid, just be a soul winner. Right? And God brings forth the reaping of the harvest. Verse 19, Brother James brought a good lesson to us on that. 
My brethren, if anyone among you strays from the truth and one turns them back. Hmm, wait a minute. So someone strays. You mean you don't just leave them out there? <laughs> no. No, we need, what should we do? We need to pray for that brother or sister. Pray for them and pray. We don't need to talk about them. We need to pray for them. Pray about it. Pray about it. And then we need to what? Contact them. Talk to them. Encourage them. Love them. And build them up. Lift them up. Try to understand. Be a Christian. Be a man of God. Be patient. Right? Oh, yeah. Back to the verse. I'm sorry. My brother, if anyone among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Wow. You know, there was a, there was a time, I'm just giving you this, this account, just um, when there's a man out, di- out drowning in the water. Right? And, when, and, when, and it just so happened, um, I, I was a good distance away, I was, we were in the ocean, and, and I, I noticed it, and there were a lot of people around, they were partying and having fun, a man was drowning right near them, and they never, no one even noticed it, I'm not saying they ignored it, they just didn't notice it. I'm thankful that God, you know, blessed me with the opportunity to help this man out. What if he drowned? What what is that song? Is a song out about that? Seeing a man for the first time and the last time. And he drowned before him, but there was nothing that could be done. That's, That's helping someone physically. I know you've helped people physically. But this is bigger than that. This is spiritually, right? This is spiritually. Church, if you look around and you notice that, you know, right over here, I remember that so-and-so used to sit here, and I haven't seen them in a while. What do you, what do you think James is telling us we ought to do about that? Try to save their souls. Contact them. Tell them we love them. Tell them we've missed them. Tell them Jesus loves them. And don't, and don't worry about trying to judge them and say, well, you know, I can't believe you said that. That's wherever they are is where they are. And the tongue's going to reveal what's on the heart. Be patient. Let's work together in love. Right? That's what God asks us to do. This morning, perhaps, there's someone that's struggling in their faith. We like to be able to pray with you, pray for you. We can help in any way. If you're not a child of God, we encourage you. We invite you to surrender to God in the waters of baptism, having heard His word and believed it. Have a godly sorrow in your heart, willing to make that confession. You believe Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. And then be baptized, immersed in water, that the old man will die and the new man be resurrected. All your sins will be washed away. If there's anything we can do to help you in any way, here's a good opportunity to make it known while together we stand and sing our song of invitation. Three, two, one.